0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The 12 Cast. This is Jake Kirshner, co-author of Just 12, host of The 12 Cast. Great to have you with us today. Hey, I do apologize that this um, podcast was a little bit late in getting out. With the holiday weekend, we uh, fell behind a little bit. So I I do apologize for that. Glad you're checking in today. A couple of things. um, Wherever you're listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, a way of letting us know that you're plugged in, also a way of letting other people know that you're interested in this kind of stuff. You can also download the app. It's a place where. Uh, those of us who are striving to, pri- to prioritize twelve others like Jesus did uh for us to stay engaged in the in community news also to find other resources that are available, other videos and things as well so do one of those two things, do both those things we'd love to have you do that as we start out today i want to just um start with a hypothetical scenario uh, imagine for a second that you are a, a young adultish type person, maybe you are a college age student whatever and and for the summer you get invited, you get asked to. House sit for somebody. And this person is, is pretty well to do. They got a great place. They not, lots of nice stuff. A pool, billiard room, whatever it might be, things for you to do. And they say, Hey, it's it's great, we, we, we trust you. We'll just, you know, invite people over, just keep the place clean. Don't do anything crazy. But we're asking you because we trust you. And a couple of days before you they leave, you come over and they kinda of show you around. Here's other doors lock, here's here's where we find this, here's where this fridge is and here's where stuff is to, to clean up or whatever. You're going to take care of the place while they're gone. And they say, oh, hey, we, we totally trust you. But the last thing, don't miss this. Take care of the plants, would you? And They show you the plants and they're in the back room and there's a big sunroom type place. And there's all these beautiful, amazing plants. Some of them have been passed down from generations in their family. Some of them have been gifted to them. Some of them are just ones that they were really interested in. And they take great care of them. And part of the reason they asked you to house it is because they want these plants taken care of. And being that there's so much sunlight, sometimes you gotta close the sh- shades, and certain ones need certain water, and, and they show you all of that. You say, hey, we trust you. Don't forget to take care of the plants. And they leave and they depart. And a couple of days go by, and you you're kind of hanging out, and you're doing your thing, and you got stuff happening when you leave the house, but you come back and you check in, and you have a couple friends over, and you enjoy the pool, all those kind of things. Clean up after yourself. the the, the lawn needs mowing, you take care of that. You know, you're living in the place, so you gotta clean after your messes, you're doing your laundry, but you're not leaving a mess, all all those kind of things. And then a couple weeks down the road, you remember, oh man, I forgot about the plants. And you go in and you see that you haven't closed the shades, some of them are burned out, some of them are dried out, you give them a little bit of water, You, you make sure, okay, tomorrow I gotta remember to do this. And you do it for a couple days, but then time goes on and and you forgot again. And this time you left the shades down, and you go back in there a month later, and man, they look worse than from before. And you, you give them extra water and open the shades. And... I mean, what would happen if that's what happened to you? What would happen to the owner when they came back and say, hey, How things going? You're like, Oh, it's great. I mowed your lawn. I took care of the house. Look how clean it is. It's cleaner than when you left. They say, How about the plants? How are the plants? And they go back and they see that they're almost all dead. I mean, what kind of justification, reasoning could you give for your inaction? Today, I want to talk about Jesus's last words, his last instructions that he gave to his followers, his last actions he told them to take. And it's found in a a narrative about Jesus by a, a man by the name of Matthew who wrote it. It's what we refer to, when I say we, It's kind of a more modern phrase of this section of Scripture called the Great Commission. It's not necessarily what Jesus called it, not necessarily what his first followers called it, but it's what we call it. Maybe you've heard that term before. You know where I'm going if you've read Just Twelve or listened to the podcast or listened to videos before. You know what I'm about to talk about, but there's four words I really want to focus in on and meditate on in in what's called the Great Commission. The word doubt, authority, discipling, and partnership. Here, I'm I'm just going to read it. You, You cue in and Think about those words as I read it as well. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, excuse me, 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, you know the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them, the the one that he always tells them to go. And when he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, I first want to talk about that word doubt, because that word doubt, it's an interesting word. That, that word doubt um, is only found in one other spot in all of the New Testament. All of the narratives about Jesus, all of the The New Testament writings, letters, that word doubt's only found one other place. And it's by the same author, Matthew. Anytime a biblical author uses a word that's unique, uses it sparingly, or uses a play on words, it's usually trying to get the the, the reader, the listener, to pay attention to something. Now, I don't know if he's trying to get us to pay attention to uh, another part of his story, where there was a certain doubter, and maybe you're thinking, "Oh, I know the doubter, doubting Thomas." That's what we call Thomas, but it's not Thomas. It's actually Peter, and the doubt refers to the time that Peter walked on water. If you don't know that story, Jesus took, uh, Jesus sent the disciples out ahead on a boat. There's a storm; the wind's pushing against them, and as they're on the boat, they see an apparition out in the distance. Peter and some of the other disciples. hey, I think that's Jesus. Jesus, if, if that's you, says Peter, tell me to come out and I'll come out there. Jesus says, yeah, it's me. And Peter steps on the water, walks on water. And as he's walking, he sees the waves. He sees the wind pushing the waves and he gets scared. He has fear and he starts to sink. Jesus is there instantly, picks him up, grabs him, and they're back on the boat, dry and safe. And Peter looks, or Jesus looks at Peter and says, why did you doubt? Why did you wave? It's a really interesting correlation because only two places this word is used. Something about what is happening to Peter, Matthew wants us to pay attention to now in light of what is being said in what we call the Great Commission. Now in light of these words of Jesus, this mandate of Jesus to go discipling. Why did you doubt? Why did you waver? Why did you become double-minded? Why did you have resolve one minute and then stop? Why were you taking steps and then you paused, then you stopped, you you stopped taking action? What was that, Peter? And you're thinking, well, Peter Peter was like, I thought it was going to die. I saw the wind. I thought it was going to die. This back and forth indecision. I think what the the author Matthew is trying to get us to see is, is that sometimes indecision, Keeps us from action. This is the connection he's trying to make. There's wavering and action. Indecision keeping you from movement. But here's a big difference of these two stories. In the first one with Peter on the water, there's action and then indecision. And Jesus says, why did you waver? Here, there's wavering. There's indecision. There's doubt. But Jesus doesn't pause. Jesus doesn't stop and ask, hey, why are you wavering? He doesn't ask for a question. He just moves straight to the action. And whether this this is trying to connect Peter to this or connect Thomas to that, maybe it doesn't matter. But Jesus isn't worried about wavering. Doubt doesn't disqualify them from doing. Doubt isn't disqualifying anyone from doing these words that Jesus mandates. Doubt doesn't need to distract you. From the direction Jesus has called you to go, and what's the direction Jesus has called you to go? It's the direction of disciple making. Well, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's the direction of discipling. Peter walks in water. It's about discipling. It's about this mission. I remember hearing this this message or this these verses about Peter walking on water, and I probably even. Spoken about this before. I've probably given a message like this before. Where it's about having this big vision, this big project, this big thing that, that God calls us to, and we just gotta step out in faith and trust us, trust Him. And we'll and we'll be able to accomplish it. But but this, this connection that Matthew's making, I think, says, No, this isn't about this big vision that you have individually. It's about the big vision that Jesus has for all of us, all of his followers to partake in and partner with. Amen and to start to pursue. It's about pursuing the mission. He's called us to a common mission, shared with every generation that has followed Jesus from now till then, and from now till all things are made new. See, it's not about having action that avoids the wavering. It's not about action despite our doubts. It's, it's in the midst of our doubts. Whatever wavering or whatever waves or whatever wind is against us, it's just part of the world Jesus sends us into. And As we'll see in a bit, he's right there with us, keeping us above and working, us, working through the chaos that's around us in the world. Doubt doesn't disqualify us from the doing. Of disciples. All right, what about authority? See, this thing about authority, it's interesting in the narratives of Jesus, especially in the book of Matthew, but other ones as well. There's two groups of people that talk about authority. There's the religious leads, and they're constantly questioning Jesus' authority. They want the right credentials. Does he have the right credentials? Does he have the right pedigree? Does he have the right qualifications? Constantly questioning him. And then on the other side is the common people who, who see His authority, they see his celebrity, his personality, his his doing the spectacular miracles, and they say, man, what authority he has. But that authority is fragile. It's fickle. It's fleeting. And and what's interesting about Jesus, he doesn't seem to be concerned at all about the authority that anybody attributes to him. And here, when he's with his 12, well, with his 11, here, he's the one who brings up authority. Nobody's necessarily questioning that. Nobody's speaking to it. He speaks to it here. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, now here's the thing too. He's just risen from the dead. He was crucified. He was buried. He was dead. And he rose from the dead. So I think whatever Jesus has to say about when he's resurrected, it's probably pretty important. The directions he gives, probably pretty important. But just in case we missed it, here it is explicitly, all authority and power has been given to me. Therefore, go do this thing. Go make disciples. I have this vision of, um and this will totally date date me for sure i remember watching this um, cartoon called um he-man do you ever watch he-man you don't need to go check it out if you haven't but he-man uh he had the sword and he would like raise it up and say this thing and uh and then he would say i have the power and then he would do like awesome things with the sword it's kind of like thor nowadays in the marvel cinematic universe you know he raises his hammer thing and Lightning strike. I mean, I kind of envision that's what's happening with the disciples. They're up on this mountain, up on this high place, sign of connection to to God and divinity. And Jesus says, I have all the authority. You're kind of waiting for like thunder and lightning to come crashing down and for Jesus like to like do something that pushes that authority out. And he does, but it's not the way you think. But the thing that he says is so important. The next thing he says is, you go discipling. You go do what I've been doing. I've shown you. I've modeled it. I've taught it. I've shown you through my actions, through my character, through my words, what this thing discipling is. You go do it. Here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are mandated to be discipling others. It's like this hinge command. I'm not saying everything depends on it, but a lot depends on us listening to this mandate. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go make disciples. You go discipling. See, and I, I, I flip this around a lot. I say make disciples, and I, I, I need to get out of the habit because I want to say discipling because it actually doesn't say make disciples. It says disciple. Go discipling. Go disciple the nation. It's this action. Make a disciple. You have disciples. You don't make them. You have them, and they're in need of discipling. They're in need of this action. See, and the danger for this in this lies here. Um, when we say make disciples, I think in our modern, especially in the United States, Western thinking, capitalistic, outcomes-oriented society. As we try to put this in, a, in an equation, in a, in a process that's almost like we can get the process right. This is what we'll head up, right? If we do this plus this, then this will happen, and it'll equal that. we get a checklist of things that means to be making a disciple, or the marks of a true disciple, or the marks of a mature disciple. But when we say make disciples, the focus goes on the wrong person. The focus goes onto the person. Receiving the discipling, but here Jesus is saying, No, the focus is on you, the one doing the discipling. The mandate is given to the one doing the discipling. It's it's not a mandate that's about measuring the effectiveness of a process, it's about the actions of those the mandate has been given to. And, And this is what Jesus modeled. So important. He had this narrowed relational focus. And when we try to scale, this is my opinion here. When we try to scale processes, we end up manufacturing products. That doesn't sound like discipleship. When we try to leverage technology or, or, or capital or our resources to increase outcomes and effectiveness, typically we lose sight of the purpose behind our efforts. It's almost counterproductive. Here's the other part of individual human Capacity for relationships cannot be scaled exponentially. Jesus had a narrow relational focus, and that's what he modeled for us, and he's what he calls, that's what he's calling us to as well. When we invest in people through discipling, it's actions and activities, and that impact is immeasurable. Yes, we will eventually need to, to, to question and to measure whether or not our actions are actually leading to the goals. This this outcome, yes, of seeing people being obedient to the rule and rescue of Jesus. Yes, is that actually what's happening? But not to the detriment of actually doing the discipling. Discipling is a relational action. It's tied to relationship. It's person-oriented. And we've really lost the word for this in English. We don't have it. We don't have a great word for what it means to do discipling. And I think that's part of the confusion for us. There's just not a great English translation. But, but if we look at the life of Jesus, how he did discipling, how the early church did discipling, I think there are, are four ways that we, that we understand relationships, that if we kind of take a combination of those four infused with the character, embodiment, and love and words of Jesus, maybe we'll get close. Here's the four, parenting, mentoring, apprenticing, and befriending. It's some combination of those things of, of, of a parental, mentor, apprentice, friend relationship. Okay, so that's discipling. Last one, partnership. Partnership. Jesus says the words, "I will be with you," and when his disciples heard those words, he heard a co- They heard a covenant promise, covenant promise that had been given to every partner. That God had called into relationship with him for the ruling and rescuing for his purposes in the world. It's these covenant promises that words that went to Abraham, to Moses, to David. It's throughout the prophets these these words of, These are going to be the people with whom I want to have a partnership with, with. You are not a solo missionary. You do mission work. We do this mission of discipling others with Jesus and with each other. It's not a directive to do something for Jesus. It's not a transaction to get something from Jesus. It's an invitation to do with Jesus what he started in this world. The mandate starts with doubt, but it ends in the promise of partnership. And if we're joining Jesus in the mission, he is going to be there. Every place we join Jesus in this mission, he's going to be there. When we prioritize 12, when we show up in their life, when we share our experience with our 12, we share our reality, when we serve and socialize with our 12, when, when we are getting spirit fueled so we have the energy to pour into our 12, when we send our 12, Jesus is there. May you and I strive to join Jesus, to partner with Him, to prioritize 12 others the way that Jesus loved and prioritized his 12th. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to work for everyone being in someone's 12th.